Hi, my name is Rob Shrimp, and you are listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. Before we talk some hockey with Rob, I have to ask you, are you tired of your feet hurting in dress shoes? Most people think it's their shoes, but it's not. You know that. It's the socks. HashiSocks.com solved this problem by creating the most comfortable socks to keep your feet fresh and feeling great. Most fashion and dress socks are expensive. They're poorly constructed. They provide zero protection. Not Heshi Socks. Heshi Socks are cushioned in the heel, foot, and the toe. They have the arch support in the center, so your feet don't slosh around your shoes. Listen, I say this all the time. You can exercise. You can play ball in it. You can run in it. They're made with this breathable Pima cotton and are antimicrobial to kill the stink. But best of all, they are designed to stay up. No more pulling up your socks all day. Looking ridiculous, bending down your suit, pulling your socks up. Never. Go to HeshiSocks.com. H-E-S-H-I Socks.com. Enter the promo code SAFO30 at the checkout for 30% off your entire order. That's the whole order. 30% off by entering SAFO30. You'll never find such a high quality footwear at this price, I promise you. Heshi Socks offers an array of colors and styles. From the basics, to the ankle socks, to the fashion, to the rugby ones, which I love. Dress socks, they have it all. And I know, I know, we got to talk to Rob, we got to talk hockey, but you know what I love? Free stuff. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up your bedroom, even better. Select almost any one of the items for 50% off, and then Adam and Eve loads on the free stuff. Enter the offer code SAFO at the checkout to get 10 tantalizing free gifts. Adam and Eve is the best. A sexy item for him? Maybe a special gift for her and a third item you'll both enjoy. And, and, wait, six free spicy movies. And I'll throw in one other free thing, free shipping. Enter the code SAFO, S-A-F-O, at adamandeve.com. Weather's getting a little cool. You're going to be in the house a lot. You're in the apartment. Put on the fireplace. Have some fun with your lady. adamandeve.com, promo code SAFO. What's going on, bud? too much buddy how are you that was a hey. disaster trying to get signed in there i've been on skype in like honestly like six years i used to use it when i was in europe for my parents so i was gonna say thank god you're a hockey player because computer is not our shit uh, yeah listen i'm tech dumb i said it to everybody if you're gonna want me to do something on the computer you gotta send it so it's like child proof nhl's a week old this season you excited about that or you don't even really care yeah it's been it's it's been cool to see the jockeying and see the teams how they're different uh a lot of different looks a lot of different uh Totally different looks for teams, so it's it's been a pretty cool week to watch these games. So you're still a fan then? Oh yeah, I watch I watch hockey. I love watching hockey. I watch it, talk it all the time, but uh, don't play it so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, I have a ton of uh, former athletes that come on a lot of football, baseball, and basketball. Some of them completely disconnect from the sport. Some of them are still obsessed with it. who are you guys. Who do you like? You, I know you don't have teams that you root for. You play in the league. Who guys like must watch for you? That's the thing. It's kind of evolving, and it's been fun to see. Even this week, it's changed. Like, I, I've noticed a difference so far. And I think I've seen, like, I watched Buffalo last night watching Eichel. Eichel, he's gone to another level. Mm-hmm. Uh, really kind of, you know, I'll just say, I'm sure it's rude, but when he signed that contract, I was kind of like, that's bananas because he hadn't he hadn't had, like, a 100-point season yet. You know what I mean? He had a, yeah, he had a point a game, but, like, 10 mil for a point a game was kind of bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. But, like, watching last night, yeah, I see it. Like, you know what I mean? That Like, he's evolved to that, and going to be worth that money for a long time so um eichel's been fun to watch um well 
I mean, I watched Vancouver last night as well. That Hughes looked good. He's had a snipe from the point. There's, I don't. There's so much going on. There's so much different. There seems a lot of young people. talent now. There's a lot of young talent, and they're actually, you know, you kind of get the old school, like maybe like God, oh, these kids haven't earned it yet, but like watching them, they got like they have advanced a lot. I think, in my opinion. What causes that from all these young studs who are coming into the league right away? A lot like the NBA and a lot like new baseball. What makes them evolve to, you know, usually it was a slow progression to get a little better, and now they're becoming stars so soon. Why is that? Uh, I think it's a confidence thing, and it's also a, an opportunity thing where now the league has, uh, I don't think it's any secret, have opened the door for the young guys. Like, they're talking bridge deals. They're canceling bridge deals and going straight to, like, eight-year. Mm-hmm. So it's giving uh, more, it's giving those young guys more room, right? Like, it's giving them the space where it used to be, like, you had to fight two or three or four years through veterans and trying to, dethrone them from their spot to take their spot till you got to that chance to have the ice time and chances and power plays and such forth. And then there'd be another couple of years until you got your, you know, deal per se. I mean, it's not, I'm just saying from what I saw now, it's like 18, 19, 20. And now you're talking at 21 being a really good hockey player. That's the thing. When you play those first two or three years at those minutes and get those experiences and get the chance to make mistakes and learn from them, you become a really good player by 20. And And you've seen this. Like you said, you get that seven year contract, Rob. It's like, okay, now I'm who, if I can relax, my job's secure. Now I can go about doing what I need to do. I I think there's more stories like that than there is the ones that get paid and just go, Oh, I'm never going to, I don't think anymore. There's, you know, like that's the worry, but I, I think it's, when you're talking about these athletes and hockey players, um, I could say for myself personally, financial status was my status, but financial uh, comfort was always, yeah, like I wanted that because that's something I didn't grow up with. So like mm-hmm. taking that money equation out of what you're trying to do for when it's a game, but it's also you're getting your job, you're getting paid for it. Once you can reach the level of like, okay, I don't have to worry about the money side of it. A different side of the athlete comes out and it's more their natural ability and their natural compete uh natural feelings come out and then you know a lot of time that's a good thing 2004 your 25th draft pick overall where were you when you get that call we were in north carolina we had uh that's where the draft was i was down in carolina we had i had 125 people came down to the draft it was nuts oh so you were there live at the draft yes oh yeah okay so you get drafted first dumb purchase I, i mean i bought a car i yeah just like you know just like an immature idiot. <laughs> Whatever, what, what kind of car did you buy, Rob? I bought it. Actually, you know, my first right, – I, I can't say I was dumb about it. I leased the car from um, the guy, these guys in London, Ontario, um, the Ensers. I got a Lincoln Mark LT. It was a pickup truck. and okay. you know. But the thing that you don't realize then is even then, like, I had to pay insurance on Like, insurance is an arm and a leg, but, like, you just think you're so rich and, and you're <laughs> not. But, I mean, at least you felt like it. Hey, take me back to that draft. I'm always fascinated by drafts. I'll watch drafts even if I don't watch a sport. The picks are going. Where did you think you were going to go? What was your projected pick? I was ranked projected top uh, top 10, and I ended up sliding down to 25. So Nerve-wracking? Uh, yeah, it was like really un- kind of confusing. And, and I had some meetings for the draft combine and, uh, you know, basically like it, it, we're, we're this pick and there's no way you're going to be there. But if, if you are there, you're our guy. And those were picks around, you know, anywhere from 12 to 20. I had four of those meetings. So Oof. when I wasn't getting picked, I was, like, really, really confusing. And I was like, oh, man, like. Why'd you lie to me? 
lied that and like what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what did I do? I was like, oh no. You know, I thought but you know, it was a weird weird scenario in my draft. It was really kind of confusing, I guess would be a great word for it. And like as I was sliding down and down, there's a compete level in you too. You're like, I'm better than that guy. Like mm-hmm. I know I had a I mean I had a better season, blah blah blah, that kind of stuff. Um and also at the same time, like during the draft, they had me mic'd up and they had like a camera on the, on the stairs oh. that was like watching. So every time I'm watching, like so-and-so picked the 17 spot guy had, you know, a couple of times there was a couple of European players that played 50 games, had like three or four points. And it's kind of like, what? Like I, that guy's going above me. You know what I mean? So. And you're there with your family and stuff. Yeah. I had 125 people oh. there. I was ranked top 10 in the draft for my, you know, for my ability to play hockey. But for some reason I just kept sliding and then. Um, you know, there was scatter. Like I was supposed to go at like 14 for the Oilers. They didn't take me. So everyone's like, oh, it must be, a, must be an attitude problem or something. I don't know what got out, but uh, it was weird. It was tough. I didn't know what to do, think of it or take of it. And uh, just kind of like going down the mountain <laughs> on a tube and nothing stopping. <laughs> I was like, oh man. Cooler thing for you, being on a hockey card for the first time or being like in NHL, a video game for the first time? I think being the video game was, was cool. I had a lot of kids kind of mess me like, oh, I played with you today. I'm a video <laughs> game. I'm like, oh, sweet. I don't play video games, so I, I didn't even know. But And then even when I went to Europe, I get the messages like, hey, I played with you from Zoog, Switzerland, or whatever team I'd be on. And, mm-hmm. uh, that was pretty neat to, to have that. You grew up in upstate New York, and then you went to Canada for some hockey, right? Do a lot of like st- – I know you were a stud, stud player. Do a lot of studs make that route? I know in high school basketball – a lot of good players will go down to Virginia or California. Do a lot of hockey players make that same move? Yeah, well, I mean, that's – at the time, it's like OHL or college. You kind of have to decide. For me, I played in the Ontario Provincial League for two years at 14 and 15. I had really, I had pretty good success. But one year I had 80 points or something like this, and the next year I led the league at 15. So to stay at that level, if, if I wanted to stick around and go to college, it would have been another three more seasons – talking five seasons at that and I and I, I was progressing and I was playing and I had a lot of feedback right like agents and scouts so the NHL wasn't totally a, a daydream for 18 it mm-hmm. was kind of more realistic so OHL was maybe the faster route where if you're talking college it's, it was another three seasons away and then who knows what do I go play another year or two at college I don't know I was really focused for some reason on 18 at where I was at 15 it was kind of NHL was really in grasp so that's that was my reasoning of going that route and I was drafted first overall to the OHL so it was kind of that gave me a little inclination like I was progressing the right you know at a fast track I guess you could say what colleges had a shot at you did you go on any recruiting trips oh, I was too young I mean I was 14 and 15 so I, I would see him at like wait 15. so how old did you get drafted for the OHL how old were you I just turned 16 wow Actually, I got drafted at 15 April my birthday was July 1st so I drafted at 15 my birthday was July 1 and I was up in Mississauga at, um, yeah, that August I went up there. So That's like a trampoline jump to grow up. Now you're kind of like you're leaving home. You're in a new country playing. Yeah. How didn't that like mess with you though? Uh, you know, it does. It's big, It's but it's like really hockey is your uh, passion and your drive. And that really, it, it uh, you know, I think looking back on like how you see your progression in your life and what happened, how you did it and stuff like that, that would be something I would have liked to educate people on as far as when their kids are going to junior, like what did, you know, what to look for. But cause hockey can cover a lot of stuff up, you know what I mean? You're so focused. And then, like I said, 18 is coming right on the corner. It was only two years away from 16. So it's like, Oh, hockey, but like you're away from your family, you're away from your normal stuff and you're disconnecting almost and losing 
it's hard to stay in touch with what's going on with the family. Like I've been with a big family. I've got three siblings and I got a million cousins. <laughs> so <laughs> totally like kind of lost track of everybody because it's, it's just tough. You know, and we didn't have cell phones back then either. We got cell phones my rookie year at 16 for Christmas. Yeah, so it wasn't a group chat. It wasn't group chatting no. and FaceTime at all times. So you're really you're going to talk to him when you get back to the hotel room. Right? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And if you're going to call, you know, talk to exactly you no know, group chat. So if you're going to talk to aunts and uncles, cousins, and, and such forth, you're literally calling, dialing them up each individually. Hey, uncle, oh. hey, hey, you know, like <laughs> so it's you know a different time. So like you really lost. You really were making a sacrifice back then to to take a shot at your dream, and and you know it was worth it. I'm not saying it's not worth it, but there's some things that you you know can do differently to stay involved or, or stay closer to your roots and morals and stuff like that. I, I just made a note: uh, 57 games, you had 57 goals, 145 points, and that's when that was in the OHL. Yep, that was my last year in the OHL. And then that what made that's what made you a top ten prospect going into the draft. No, I was well, I was first overall at sixteen, and then I had a rookie of the year at sixteen and seventeen. I actually changed over to the London Knights, and I had a pretty good season as well. And I had a good top prospects game that year, so they do mm-hmm. the prospects game for the top forty ranked players or something like this in Canada. Every year they do it, and that's uh, draft your eligible guys. So I, I had a good draft and or uh, sorry, good prospects game. So that kind of highlighted me, and then. That's when I was going into that draft year. I was ranked high. It's wild because uh, basketball, you get drafted. NFL, you get drafted. You're in the league the next year. Baseball is more of a minor league stuff. Hockey, you were in the league in two years after your draft. You made your debut, right? Yeah. I So drafted at 18. They had a lockout that year, 19-year-old year. And then in the uh, – yeah, 20 years old, I was in the minors. I got my first call-up. So. But what the game's you? changed, though. Now it's there's no uh, – I mean, even my scenario was a little bit different. Like, mm-hmm. the other draft picks in the first round that year had played a, a significant amount more uh, of games than I did. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just didn't fit my draft situation. That didn't fit where I got drafted. So it just – it didn't pan out. But, like, I can't say it's totally changed. Most of the guys in that draft played a ton of games inside their two years, three-year contract. And even now you're seeing it, like, most guys in the top top round are playing year one. What's your uh, welcome to the NHL moment? My, uh, well, it was Bugard, actually. I got, got a pocket. My first call was in Minnesota, and I picked up, like, a control breakout pocket. And all of a sudden, usually, you know, down in junior, it's a little bit – or even in AHL, it's a little bit more – it's not as fast, and things don't happen as quick. I had, like, two seconds. I got the pocket. I look up, and all of a sudden, there's, there's a boogeyman. And <laughs> it just looked like there was nowhere in this arena to go. I had to, like – shimmy shake him and he flew right by me and i played with his brothers okay so he's like he just missed me he's like you lucky shrimpy boy (laughs) holy shit this guy's a monster man and he could fly that was the thing like i kind of checked him off before i got the puck i was like Mm -hmm. i got this and he's a big like usually you think like big guy like he can't catch me he took like three strides man and i was like in a bad spot and i just dodged it like barely you're you're in the NHL. I want one moment when you're like, "Holy shit, I'm on the ice with who?" Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I played one game that first year. The next year, I played two games. Well, I mean, Gabrick was in a, on on that game the same night, you know. So like, he had a couple breakaway stretches that was like, "Holy shit, man!" Like this guy was shot out of a cannon. Like I never seen speed like that before. And also, his hands would move with his feet. So that was pretty much the same night was like, this is a different level. So know? the speed was the biggest factor coming in, like, holy shit, how are these guys flying like this? Yeah, and they just had, like, they were just like machines, you know? It didn't even look like an effort to them. 
like Gabrick's breakaway. Like if I tried to get up to that speed, I'd be grunting and snot going everywhere, like trying to just push my body. But like for him, it was just like, choo choo, and he was gone. I, I always like the uh, inner dealings of hockey. Like you get released by them and picked up by the Islanders. What was the reason for you? you're such a young draft pick, first round pick? So they had a lot of high hopes for you. Why so quickly did they? I don't want to say give up on you, but then kind of felt like they had to move on. Yeah, it was. It was uh... It was a weird situation. I don't know. I can't even really. There's not one thing I put my mm-hmm. finger on. It just didn't work out. I'd come to camp, and every year I'd be the last cut, and just, you're not ready. And and then, uh, you know, like you see the progression. I played one game, two games, four games. Like, that's – it's not a really big sample size per se, you know. So, it was it was time to move on, you know. Clearly, it wasn't going to – I had an all-star season in the AHL, had a point of game, and it just – it seemed to go downwards from there. That league is a developmental league, so it is good. Your, you know, year one, year two, you kind of learn a lot. Even in year two, you should probably be progressing towards more of like half and half, forty and forty. Yeah. Then, it, but then when you get to year three, I found that it started to make me go backwards. I wasn't getting better as a player; I was getting worse and more frustrated. You, and you were playing down to your uh, not down. I don't want to say, but you weren't playing to the higher ability that you should. Oh have been. yeah. So my last year in the A, I was, I was terrible. I just had 42 points. We had a tough team. We just, you know, young and losing a lot of games. You don't learn anything like mm-hmm. that. You just basically your worst side of your character comes out when you're losing. We lost a ton of games. Like I'm talking like 50, oh, God. 50 something games maybe in, and 81, 82 game schedule. So it was tough to learn, you know? And so anyways, to my point, I played the next year in the NHL with the Islanders. And then, uh, Year two of the Islanders, I got an injury and, and fractured my back in training camp. I had after that recovery, I got ready to go, and they sent me down for a one-game conditioning stint. I went down, and going down for that one game, the pace of that league was like going down. I don't want to sound arrogant, right? But it's, it was like playing against I don't know, like two or three levels lower. The game mm-hmm. slowed down so much. But rewind it two years before that, I was I didn't even get a point of game in that. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it was like that was evidence to me that I was like that time was done there at that league. Yeah. I needed to get something else to like challenge me or bring my game back to a level where I knew it could be at. Um, and that was that, I mean, it really, I went down with uh, Bridgeport. We played against Manchester mm-hmm. when I was playing against Manchester two years previously, it was like struggling to get a shot on net kind of thing. And then fast forward to the time I went down for that um, conditioning game. And it was like, I was doing a lot of fun. Things. It was, it was child's play. It was, yeah. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, but it was like just way different. Like everything, like things slowed down so much. Lanes got so much bigger. Like just had a way different feel. And that was from just playing in the NHL at that high level for one year. It made me a better player. Did you enjoy your time with the Islanders? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was it was really great. I, honestly, it was a chance finally to be in a in a lineup every day and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me a while to get there. Though, to be honest with you, I got picked up off waivers and I didn't really get in the lineup. I healthy scratch for the first like twenty plus games. How frustrating is that though? As a young guy, like, come on, just give me my chance. Let me if I'm not good, fine, but don't let me linger around here. Uh, that time it was not so frustrating because I I was closer to it than being sent to the minors. Okay. Um, you know, the first couple of weeks, yeah, I, was, I had a you know I'm competitive as hell and I want to play, but um, having it being explained to me, like, listen, you're a centerman because they tried me the first. I had five games stint there right up off the bat when I got picked off waivers and it was like slot me in on the wings. I never played wing. I played wing one year in the minors, and it, it was a kind of disaster. Okay, <laughs> really, it was uncomfortable. I didn't, you know, it's learning new routes, and it's it was tough. It was tough. So even then, I got the chance the first five games, and it was playing low, limited minutes, but on wing, and you know, it was clear to everybody, not just them, but I could see it myself. Like, <laughs> this isn't for me. These guys are like in this sample. So they told me right away, like, listen, we're gonna, you're gonna have to wait for your chance, but you know, you're here. Just be patient. And it took like 20 games to get in, but 
once I got in, I, every day I got better being on the ice with these guys. Um, you know, there's some great players around. So mm-hmm. when I got my shot, it was, it was great. And then I got to feel comfortable and playing the show. It Did you cool. uh, disappointed you didn't get to play in Brooklyn with them? I don't know about that. I don't know if it was really, <laughs> from what I'm getting the feedback, it's not, no. it's not really a great situation. So Not I'm, at all. One, it's a basketball arena, Rob, so that's the biggest thing. That's what I've been hearing from the fans. I don't even know about the players, to be honest with you. I didn't talk much about the players. I've heard a bunch of people from a fan perspective be like, I don't know how they have a game in here. There's like, there's certain viewpoints where you can't really see. I haven't been in there, and I don't know. You can't see. um, I took my cousin there, and we we sat pretty high up. You can't see half the net. So you see the ice, but the way you're looking, you have to like turn your whole body. You have to skim your whole body, and you can't see the net on the other side. So it's tough. And you know what? The... um, that was such a loyal fan base because it was a 20-minute drive, 15-minute drive. Now these dudes got to get off work, take the Long Island Railroad all the way into Brooklyn. It seems like it's lost its uh, intimacy there in Brooklyn. Yeah, the dynasties were more in Long Island. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, even then, they're reviving, though. So I'll just say that. I think the team's turned around big time. There's a, there's some great potential there. Um, it's tough, though. I think, like, this, this stretch of losing seasons was a big, big toll on, on those fans in Long Island. I mean, they, were, they weren't just losing seasons. They were, they were atrocious, you know? Like, they, there were some bad seasons. Yeah, there were some embarrassing seasons there. So that's, you know, you lose that fan base, but I don't think it was totally gone. You know, there, were, there would be some excitement there when I was there. We started to win some games, and you see the fans trickle back. And now mm-hmm. they have a, you know, now they really have a good product. I think Barry Trotz is going to be great, and Lou is really bringing the organization to where he sees it fit, and he does what he does when he goes to these new places. He, he turns them around and puts a structure in there, I guess you could say, or infrastructure he puts in place is, is for the whole organization to, uh, to succeed. So, did I you wear those? Did you wear those horrible uh, fishermen jerseys? Were you on any of those teams? Thank no, God. I didn't. No, <laughs> I know. That was I, brutal. But it was also cool to play in Long Island. As I grew up idolizing Timmy Conley. Okay. Um, Tim Conley, that's how I got there. And I kind of followed his path when I was 12, 12 years old. I went out and made a movie with Wayne Gretzky with, with Timmy. Uh, Timmy got me on there with with that. So he was represented really? by IMG. Yeah, okay. so he, uh, Timmy knew me from the area. We had the same kind of uh, mentor, Don Kernan. And uh, Timmy, I idolized him. He was sick, man. Like this guy with the puck when he was, even to this day, he probably still is. But at 17, he was, I watched him one time. I was sitting on the bench watching him just in my street clothes, he was on the ice and he's, he's like, Hey, watch this. He does this wiggle, wiggle. He throws the puck to his legs, grabs it, snaps it. And it's almost like he knew what he was going to do. He snapped it, hit the crossbar, broke the puck in half. I was like, I thought the trick was the shit with his feet and stick and hand. And all of a sudden he goes, watch this. And bam. He rips one. And then somebody came over. He goes, dude, that's the, he's like, that's the third puck. He's just split in half by the crossbar. Oh, so he knew what he was doing. It was insane, man. I don't know. Maybe it's, it was, <laughs> he was special. So watching him, I, I grew up and wanted to do the same, OHL, and go through that rank. So you were 12 and you met you met the great one at 12 years old? Yeah, I went out to Orange County and made a video with him. It was pretty cool. It's called Wayne Gretzky's Train to Win. Um, it's kind of embarrassing. Now I had a full-on bowl cut. And, yeah, it's embarrassing, <laughs> but something to be proud of at the same time. After the NHL, you played in Sweden, Austria, Switzerland, Germany. Did you enjoy your time over there? Yeah, I, I did it. I, I did it. I mean, I met my wife there in, in Latvia playing the KHL. Um, okay. You know, Sweden was a really great league to play in. Great uh, in all aspects. I think it's well organized. You know, it's professional. The uh, the style of play. I, in my opinion, it's the best league outside the NHL for overall hockey. Uh, Switzerland was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing place to live and cool to see. Like, it's like living in a postcard. So, I mean, that's something coming from Fulton, New York. And, you know, I really 
appreciated it. Never would have been there if it wasn't for hockey. So uh, it was a pretty cool experience. Did you? I know you're a hockey player at your job, but did you take advantage of being in Europe with the cheap flights and the train? You, you, did you travel a lot? Yeah, the train. We get three breaks there, so you get the international team breaks. You know, yeah. November, December, and I think it's uh, January or fe- February. You get another break. So there's some time off there to go travel, see the world, and it was great. I had my sister and her husband come over. Uh, we took a trip to Venice. You know, we did a lot of cool stuff to go check out the mountains, skiing. My wife would ski, and I would just sit at the uh, <laughs> chalet. <laughs> what uh, what food do you miss the most from being out there? Over in uh, the fondue from Switzerland was amazing, yeah. dude. But it's so heavy. Like, saw... So heavy. You have one meal. You're done for the night. You got to tap I'm out for the whole night. I'm like, fit into weigh-ins there. I would have been screwed. <laughs> uh, what year did you meet your wife out there? So how long were you playing in Europe as a single dude? I met uh, my wife in my third year. Uh, second, No, second year. In Europe, I played Sweden. I played for Moto. Marcus Naslin was my GM, and Peter Forsberg, and then uh, Alfie Samuelson was the coach. So I jumped over there from the NHL. I went to that team. That seeing like that kind of organization, having those people involved, it was like the idea was to go there and have more of a North American feeling. But uh, the next year, I went to the KHL, and that's when I met my wife. Um, so I was only there for a year. Yeah, one year single. That's uh, that's all I needed. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, it must have been crazy one year. Uh, you only retired a year ago. What made you say, you know what? This is it. I have to, you know, uh, hang up the skates. Uh, it was kind of just, I had a couple, you know, I had a concussion in the playoffs and then it just, yeah, it's something turned me off about it. I just have a daughter now and it's more mm-hmm. jumping around. I jumped around from year to year. I was kind of getting crazy, uh, tired of moving from space to space, never having a grounded spot. And it's, for me, it's just, uh, gave me a lot of anxiety, gave me a lot of not, I just felt uncomfortable. I was just getting really sick of it. And, um, yeah, I just kind of was like, that's enough. I, I want to do something else. And thinking about it, I mean, I probably had another three or four years left in me, which would have been great, but uh, not making show dough, uh, delaying it inevitable, the, like eventually I'm going to have to get a real job and do that. I would mm-hmm. rather just, you know, go through the bumps and bruises of that now at like, you know, that time 32, then think about it logistically at 36. Like then I'm going to start going through bumps and bruises. You're up at 40 pretty quick, and then you're, yeah, I don't know. I just found it'd be probably a better plan to drop the stick and try something else. I've had a lot of uh, like superstar athletes that came on that were so good at such a young age like you. How do you, um, I don't want to say just deal with it because mentally, how do you even move on from that? Because your whole life has been hockey. How do you even move on from that? Uh, you know, it's a bit scary. It's intimidating, but uh, for me, I had something else going on at the same time, kind of working with the company, and, and it was it was exciting and gave me a little bit of, I don't know, a, a renewed spark of, of excitement. Um, as I meant, like the last four or five years, last four years, like I, I was moving around and that wasn't exciting. It was like almost like, God, I got to do this again. I got to move again. Okay. I got to, you know, in a couple, the last two years, I had to wait around till like October till I get signed, which was bizarre. And it'd be stressful. Like the last year with, before we signed with Red Bull, I waited till October. My wife was pregnant. I didn't know if we were gonna get oh. gonna do. So I'm like, I, I'm good with that. Like, I, I don't need to stress about that. And it was frustrating a little bit because it was with the resume that I had. I just couldn't believe I had to sit around and wait. It was almost I don't want to. I don't know. It was kind of like insulting. Almost I couldn't get it. Yeah, it was like disrespectful. So I, I don't know who's disrespect. I'm not saying one person in general, but it's like really like every year we're gonna wait till October. Like. Because I can't get on a training camp, like it was bizarre. So it was well, kind of like, okay, I guess. And then I would show up and have a good, you know, result. <laughs> like, is this not worth like a multi-year deal? No, mm-hmm. okay, no. Nope. I guess we'll go sign somewhere else, you know, start over again. And then 
the last time I just said that's enough. I'm okay. You've been uh, – because I want to talk about your new company because you've been very vocal that you battle depression. Uh, you try to bring awareness to me- mental illness and uh, different things going on inside of you because you, you had a like a dark past, didn't you? Yeah. You know, I had – I've struggled with depression my whole life, you know, even at a young age. It was uh, a lot of pressure and, uh, you know, kind of like at a young age, 12 years old, I had an incident where it was just almost came to the end, but – it was pretty scary and it was pretty bizarre. And that was something that kind of lingered in with me for my whole life. So I still, you know, I still have dark days, but it was, that was also part of putting the stick down. It just, it clearly, it was driving me to a spot where it was, uh, I wasn't comfortable. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable anymore. I just had enough. I've, so. I've, I've listened to things. I've watched you speak about it before. Looking at it now, you didn't know that you were depressed at 12 or 13 because the truth, I have a 15-year-old cousin. If she told me I'm depressed, I'd be like, man up, come on, let's go do something. But you were really depressed. How do you – um? you can't diagnose it. And that's scary as a 12, 13-year-old that you were fighting those demons. Yeah, it was it was bizarre. I don't even know how I got to that point of, of you know, what it was. And it's just – it's really confusing. It's really tough. So that was really my mission was to turn back around, talk, tell my story, and just kind of hopefully help people and, you know, recognize it when they're at a young age, if they could put a, you know, I've had a few parents that reached out and really said like, Oh, thank you for telling the story. Like my kid is seeing some of the same stuff with him or, you know, how can I, what do you see or what do you recommend kind of thing? Like that was the whole, really the mission of it is to like put a spotlight on it and probably could have been, I, I hit it, which was, it didn't help me. Yeah. <laughs> just serve, you know what I mean? It surfaced up again in the old 16, 17 when the pressure got big again. And then it surfaced up again in early 20. Like it kept resurfacing because I never really went at it. I would put it in the background and just hockey, hockey, hockey. So it was something I always kind of just try to ignore. It really is not. It could be life threatening if well, you, you ignore it. So, you know, Rob, it could be like being an addict because like you can stop drinking for a little bit. But if you don't go to meetings, if you don't do something, it's always going to linger there. So you exactly. can always hide it. But So sports was kind of like – um your outlet to hide it. Yep. And then when, when it didn't become a patch anymore for me, when that patch kind of soured, like I mentioned, I had a fight to get a job in October and then I, you know, even not being re-signed back and stuff like you just kept getting like hits and hits and hits to the ego. It's just like, why am I doing this? Like, this is the worst relationship in my life. Like literally. And it's the thing I love the most. But like, sometimes you gotta, you gotta break it off. Like, it's just not beneficial to me. It's driving me into a place where I'm not even who I used to be anymore. Like, I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying my life. Like, is it worth it for X amount of dollars? And when you say no, then it's time to walk away. Like, it's not fun and it's not really, you know, I guess if you use financial, financially setting you up for life, then what's the point? It was where I got to. Mm-hmm. I was a kid, go make some money doing something else and, and be happy doing it because a new challenge is what I needed in my life. And, mm-hmm. and the same putting the pads on, strapping it on and taking the same shit over and over again was getting old. And I just had enough. Well, let's talk about that new challenge. Cause I know you're big with the CBD and stuff. So tell me what you're doing now. Yeah. So I work as a liaison for the healthcare company, AG health. And we've, you know, the company created brands for athletes it's called Veda sport and then a wellness line as well. Uh, Veda ECN. So, this stuff was at a time when I got diagnosed with anxiety. I, it kicked in, and I tried it. They came to a pro hockey camp, talked to us, and I, I gave it a shot, and it changed a ton for me. So I had a huge impact. And for me, I was somebody that, you know, when I played, I took sleepers. Mm-hmm. I took muscle relaxers. Like, so, I, so I took all the kind of Band-Aids, per se, to play the game. And having found this CBD line and seeing what it's done and how it helped in all the ailments that I had, it, it was so impactful. So my mission really is to kind of get that in front of other athletes, you know, and let them know that there's other ways. Because, 
sometimes if, if it, I mean, there are places for these, some of these things when people have massive, you know, massive injuries. Yeah. They're going to yeah. probably need an opioid for a couple of days, but like if you could kind of get in there and help them with a natural product that, that kind of after those first couple of days, now you can manage it with something like this, have an option of it. Right. Is what the mission is for me. Really? We're moving in the sports world. Um, our company sponsors the NWHL. So we're in, in the process okay. of like kind of, you know, every, every, uh, purchase that goes through their code we uh, share the commission with their league so we're also not only you know sponsoring the league we're also trying to support the league people using cbd if they if they want to support the women and help them you know make mm-hmm. fair wages because it is they are dedicated athletes and, and they they don't get half of what they deserve they get paid shit yeah they paid shit and they're not getting the you know even like as far as trainer treatment they don't have budgets for that and then that's in the past so now the new model with their league it looks really nice where they're doing profit shares with the girls and that's what we're doing as a company we're trying to give them give back to them as much as we can and help them support them as our veda sport line is it's a bunch of actually ex-hockey players you know marvin degon is the director he played 10 years myself we have matt brown is our sales guy he played northeastern our uh, website guy donnie glover played at northeastern uh brad norton's on with us now and also um dale Pierrington is also so we got a little hockey group so we are mm-hmm. passionate about it in that sense as well for the girls to, to help the women's hockey you know kind of blossom and have a, uh feel like pro athletes you know like that is the goal of theirs they get leave the ncaa where they you know they have a pretty good setup and if they go pro they should be treated as well you know just as good or even better mm-hmm. as a pro and that's something we're trying to help reach with our company with the best way we can with with cbd one is it legal between like can nhl players and ncaa players use C, uh, cbd Yes, so CBD is off the uh, off the list for as far as banned substance as long as okay. there's no THC in it. This is mm-hmm. the issue. So um, that's what our sports line is. It's an isolated line, meaning there's no THC in it, zero. And what's the difference? People who don't know what's THC and what's no THC. So THC mm-hmm. essentially with the, the THC level in, in a wellness product and in a CBD product is point anything under point zero three percent is is legal by law. We start talking sports. There's different conversations. There's WADA, you know. The, the doping administration. So you have to be, our products are compliant with that. And that's what's okay. important about what, why we made the products for the athletes so that we were compliant with WADA's testing. And that means no THC. So if there's, you can, if you're doing the product, creating the product properly as an isolated product, there's no THC. There's, there's technically no problem with testing, right? Cause there's no THC in it. Now, if the, you know, there's a different story. If the athlete takes the isolated line, but then decides to go home and take a bong rip, like yeah. you can't vouch for him and say, Hey, you're not going to fail test, but <laughs> CBD itself helped you with injuries and also sleep and stuff too. Right. Like you have, cause I remember I heard the one interview with you and you said CBD kind of changed your life. It was amazing. I, I was having, I had anxiety attacks. They were uh, just brutal. They were coming and they felt like, I don't really know what a stroke feels like, but I, I mean, my arm was going numb. My hands were freezing cold. I couldn't swallow or breathe. And I'd get these on a, on a every other day basis so once i started taking the product of tinctures the uh, cbd tinctures i just everything started balancing out and the problem for me was i had a couple of anxiety attacks right at nighttime like 9 30 before bed Oof. and it scared the shit out of me to go to bed like every then for then for the next like month i was every night i'd just be waiting around 8 30 like oh, i hope i can go hope and then it would tell so you me. getting anxiety about getting anxiety it screwed me up big time oh. so i it was a vicious cycle and i was like what you know I didn't want to be on sleepers. I wasn't playing anymore. I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to get on Ambien because I know it's like, it's hard to get off those. When you start taking them on a nightly basis, it's hard to get off Ambien or any, whatever sleeper name you want to use. So I was really kind of like, I don't want that. Even though this is 
kind of this is pretty dramatic almost but i couldn't sleep i was sleeping like two hours a night max and it'd be at like four or five o'clock in the morning i finally like you know i'm not collapsed but like my eyes would finally go off it's like okay i don't think it's gonna happen i can sleep so then when i started taking the product it, that that really went to sleep for me no pun intended but i started sleeping at night going to bed waking up in the morning being like holy shit like it actually worked you know what i mean so it wasn't it wasn't like a snake oil thing for me or like a trendy thing. I was like that had an impact. And then from the sleep part of it to that point, again, I was taking Xanax every other day. That's what I had to take to get rid of these anxiety attacks. Next thing you know, like two months in, I I didn't even have to take one. I was like, whoa. I'm like, I didn't even know. I don't know. I just go about my day. Like I wake up every day and whatever comes, I go. I kind of a little bit of a ADD guy, but <laughs> like I didn't really like jot it down. But like I started taking it, like two months in, my wife literally said to me, "She's like, you haven't taken the Xanax in a long time." I was like, "You and know, you what? didn't even realize." I didn't even realize. Just go about my day. Are there any negatives to CBD? Because from everything I've heard, everyone has just spoken so highly of it. Are there any negatives to it? There's no, there's no real, there's no side effects. Uh, there's no psychoactive part of it, so it's it's really just about what it, we all have in our body is an endocannabinoid system. And that's if you're not using hemp-based products, it's really it's it's dormant. So when people start awakening it with these kind of products, they see these other things, just all these ailments just kind of balance out, and they're that's why you're seeing such a powerful. People can't believe it. Why they're like, wow, I can't believe what this can do, or how I feel. That's why it's it's really engaging your a system that we all have inside our body, and that's animal and human. You truly think it can help the uh, horrendous opioid epi epidemic going on? That's 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 a big thing. I think it is important. That's why our, uh, you know, the CEO of our company got into this space. He was first in pain pain management clinics and saw the crisis of the opioid and wanted to have a, um, an impact on that space. And that's exactly why he started his company and did the research to see what you know before opening. He was already doing his research and it, and yes, it does have an impact as far as withdrawals or with pain management. That's awesome. And the other part of it is an education piece to help. Like there are there are spaces, right? So it's not like, hey, just go and burn all the pain pills in the world. That's not the point. There mm -hmm. is probably there's some space like post surgery one or two days out, but like there's also some research to show that like if you take, you know, opioids for, you know, this amount of days, you have this percentage of a chance of becoming addicted. Like that's important to know as well, right? So there's an education side of of all of it. And it's um, you know, not to say totally get rid of one and you just use our stuff, but like yeah. people really need to be educated on what those opioids can do for sure. Cause uh, speaking sorry. of your stuff, can like civilians, can normal people buy it or you have to be, how does it work with your company and how can people check it out and go to it and stuff? Yeah. So our website, Veda, ECN, V E D A E C N.com. And also on what we have on our website is a drug interaction. So a lot of people mm -hmm. have, you know, curiosity about that. Hey, I'm taking this. Can I use that as well? And you can check right on our website and that's a, you know, a medical drug interaction tracker. So then you can check it out and it'll, you know, you can take pretty much CBD with almost a, you know, a lot of these over-the-counter or uh, prescription medications as well. So even the thing is, while you're say there is a need for an opioid or a pain pill, at the same time, you can be using CBD for stuff like, I know from my experience with opioids, um, but when I had a couple of surgeries, I had bad digestion. Mm -hmm. I got constipated. Like it was these things also, CBD has a... Um, ability to help your digestion while you're are if you do need to be on those kind of thing my dad has severe pain uh back pain like mm -hmm. there's no there's no absolutely taking opioids out of his life but he's cut down big time on them and he's found other things that were going wrong with him have balanced out um digestion urinary tract you know uh prostate 
he was having issues at nighttime going to the bathroom so many times. So wow. these things started to like go away for him. Instead of going to the bathroom between 10 and 15 times a night, he started going to the bathroom one or two times a night wow. with a normal stream. So these were things that I didn't, I gave it to him hoping I could help him with his back pain and other ailments kind of balanced out. And I was like, he called me and asked me and I was like, I got to call the company. I mean, I'm not the, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so it's not my lane, but I'm like, I, yeah, you know, so these kind of things you see, that's what I mentioned. Like you, people take the products and they start to notice like other things like balance out for them. Before CBD, were you a big like weed guy to kind of relax or not really? You know, younger in my career I, I was, and it was, um, I used, I used weed and it was to relax at nighttime. You know, I kind of, take the game too seriously i would you know if i had a two-point night i would stress that i hit two posts and i could have had another apple you know i'd think about that all night so you know weed was always a way for me to calm down and also i enjoyed i enjoyed drinking alcohol which is a horrible thing when you have depression so it actually you know throws gasoline on the fire per se so weed was a, a an outlet for me for yeah in my career and uh it's much more beneficial than than going out and having seven to ten pops and yeah. call it a night all right, we're going to finish up with some fun stuff. Best hockey movie of all time? Youngblood. That's the best one? Youngblood or Slapshot. I, I mean, those two are one and two. I, I don't know. But Youngblood is more – I like the realism of it. Okay. You know, like the young junior player coming mm-hmm. in. But uh, Slapshot's definitely the most comical. You and I are at a bar up here in New York, and you want to impress everyone at the bar. Who's the coolest dude in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you back? <laughs> I don't even know that answer. I got nothing. I'm a, I just kind of hold up down here in Naples, Florida. I don't talk to anybody cool anymore. Just an everyday civilian. Best player you ever shared the ice with? Best player I ever shared the ice with. Oof. Alice Hemsky was amazing. He was a sick player. Robert Nielsen, I would say. All your stuff, you played all over the world. Have you kept all your jerseys? Have you kept any memorabilia? Yeah, yeah we kept a jersey from every year, my dad. My dad collected them. It hasn't been a box up in Fulton, New York. So um, definitely a cool keepsake. I actually didn't get my my first ever NHL game one, which sucked. But Oh, uh, and where would it be? That's probably I gone. have no idea. I remember I, I bought it too because it was at the end of the year I got my call up. It was like game 81. Okay. They asked me, do you want to buy it? And I was like, yeah. So I remember buying the jersey, but I don't know where, what happened to it. So unfortunately, I didn't get to get that jersey. Uh, in the uh, NH in the NFL, after the games, they switch jerseys. Dudes ask for autograph. Ever ask another player for an autograph? No, and I wish I did. You know, I really wish I did, but it was more. Uh, I had too much pride. Kind so many, pride. so many players really say that. Yeah, like that. You know, the NFL. It was. You know, when you first saw that, like the football thing. I'm like, get out of here. Like you go into war against each other. Yeah. Kiss ass. But then you start thinking about it. Like actually, that shows a lot of sportsmanship and a lot of like respect. It's not. Uh, I don't know. There's always like a, there was weird like unwritten code, you know. Like that would be you don't talk to the other team. If you talk to the other guy in warm-ups, you'd get in shit. If you talk yeah. after the game, if you lost the game, you're over. Like, hey, buddy, can I get an autograph? You're, you you get ripped by not just the coaches, but even your teammates. Be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, and what, Rob, what about the fans? I, looking at it now, just say 15 years ago. I'll use 15 years ago. After a football game, after a basketball game, I don't want to see Patrick Ewing exchanging jerseys with Jordan. We just went to war. I hated that dude. Mm-hmm. Now when the game's over. It bothers unless my team wins. Then I'm like, oh, that's yeah. cool. But dude, if the Knicks lose, well, the Knicks lose every game. But if the Yankees lose in the World Series, I don't want to see Jeter going over there and giving his jersey. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? So yeah. I'm not the biggest fan, but I'm always curious if some players were like, shit, I wish I would have asked blank for an autograph or for his jersey or something. So that's the that's the that's the uh, balancing act, right? Like, do I in ten years am I going to give a shit that the fans would have been mad at me for yeah. grabbing 
Crosby's autograph after a loss. And then you be in your house down there with a Crosby jersey signing, like looking. I know it's such a weird fucking dynamic. It, but like at the moment, you're like, no, the fans are gonna kill me, or the coach is gonna kill me, my teammates are gonna shit on me. Like you're just like, nah, fuck it, I don't need it, I don't need it. <laughs> but you know, you you know, you know, there's some cool guys still in the league when I was playing and looked up to. You know, and like Mike Madonna, even I can think about. You know, my first, I think it was my first exhibition game playing against Dallas, like taking faceoffs against Mike Madonna. Just like. Almost not even trying to win the draw out of respect, you know. Face offs. It's just like, yeah, you, you know, not that he he needed me to not try. Yeah. He was unreal at him, but um, to that point, like, there's just so much more, you know, so much respect, and it would have been cool to have a little collection now that I look back on it. But and you have n- nothing of it then, right? I didn't. I didn't grab one thing, not one. That's funny <laughs> shit. Never. That's crazy. Listen, this was an absolute blast. I've, we've been dying to do this for a while. And I was actually going through my DMs the other day. I'm like, holy shit, I never had you on. And I'm like, you know what? Hockey season just started. Thank you for the cool stories, man. You were really open about everything. And just one more time, the plug, how to get all the CBD and check out your stuff. Yes, yeah, so Veda, www.vedaecn.com. And uh, there you'll find our wellness stuff. Our company, AG Health, uh, is the uh, parent company. So the brands come from there. And we also cool about our company is we're creating brands for other people with white labeling or private labeling so people that are looking to build brands out of a uh, you know very buttoned up operation is what ag is so uh, it's something i'm proud of this is a cbd brand and they come from a seed to sale um and we have the isolated line for anybody that's just not athletes there's other people that have work you know that have drug testing or urine tested if they have to worry about that kind of stuff so they have that option to take it their jobs are very stressful as well so you know the big components with uh CBD or anxiousness for anxiety and inflammation and sleep. So these are three things that kind of hit home to not just athletes, but everybody. So uh, if you're in the space and then also, like I mentioned, the NWHL, if you're looking to help support the women's league, that's a way if you go on and use their code NWHL that helps support their league. So that's like I mentioned, that's something why we build it that way. So we can help lift those girls up, get them feeling like pro athletes and, and, and treated right and paid right. So um, if you guys want to order, there's a, chance to uh get your products and also support a great cause at the same time listen you seem happy you seem upbeat this is a blast man thank you so much